Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, and thanks for listening to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I'm your host, David Gottlieb. Throughout the centuries of emancipation and assimilation of the Jewish communities of Europe, and even during the years of their persecution and annihilation, one institution provided refuge, sustenance, and material for Jewish artistic, cultural, political, and literary expression, and that institution was the Café. In his latest book, A Rich Brew, How Cafes Created Modern Jewish Culture, published by New York University Press in 2018, Shachar M. Pinsker delves into the history of the cafe in six different Jewish communities in Europe, the U.S., and Palestine, and later Israel, from the early 19th into the late 20th century. The author shows how the cafe was both a liminal and a creative space. It was a locus of cultural and artistic foment, of political and intellectual conflict and collaboration, and a third space in which cultural, linguistic, and gender boundaries were blurred or altogether remade. Shachar Pinsker is professor of Judaic Studies and Middle East Studies at the University of Michigan, and he joins me today to discuss his book. Professor Pinsker, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to, to be here and speak with you. I wonder if you could give us some context by just telling us a little bit about your personal uh, and academic background, about uh, um, your scholarly uh, sort of um, expertise and your perspective and how those things led you to this book. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, yeah, I I I am I'm I'm I'm, I'm from Israel, and I uh, I studied at the Hebrew University for my BA and MA. I actually studied comparative literature and focused on on Hebrew literature. I also have a, a little bit of yeshiva background, and uh, this is kind of the way that led me to. The, the, to, to work on, 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 on the literature and the cultural aspects and the questions that I, that I came later to work on. Then I decided to leave uh, the Hebrew University uh, after, after being there for, for many years and go uh, to Berkeley, California, and to do a PhD uh, with, the, with the wonderful people that were there, people like uh, Professor Robert Alter, Hannah Kronfeld, and Omi Zeidman. Uh, and that really kind of opened my eyes, being in, in an American environment, being in a place like Berkeley, and really think about uh, Hebrew literature in the culture of, of Jewish literature, Jewish history, Jewish culture, and also in the larger context of, of comparative literature, world literature, and many of the cultural debates and, and, and theoretical and political issues that, uh, uh, that were very prevalent in, 
uh, uh, during the time I did my PhD in Berkeley. It was really a wonderful place that uh, uh, to be in, and, and an experience that really opened my eyes to many things. Um, then I, I spent a year at Harvard. I spent a year, a year back in Israel at Ben Gurion University, and then I came to Michigan uh, and the Frankel Center uh, and the University of Michigan again opened. New horizons and, and, and new places for me. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, writing, a, writing such a book like A Rich Brew is not really, doesn't seem like a natural thing to do for somebody who is trained as, as a literary scholar. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because your previous book is Literary Passports, The Making of Modernist Hebrew Fiction in Europe. And I'm wondering if, as you were researching that book, you kept coming across the cafe as an institution where modern Hebrew fiction was being created. Is, was that part of what led you Precisely. to the, I mean, mater- exactly the rich material for this I, book? I, I wanted to, to write a book about, uh, about Hebrew modernism as, and really to focus on the text themselves, the writers and the text, and to do the kind of analysis, the close reading uh, that goes along, along with that. And you know, as, as, as I was doing research for the book and then I was writing the book, um, I decided in the, in the previous book, in in, in uh, literary passports to focus on three themes or three big uh, areas and one of them is the religious experience one of them is gender and sexuality and the other one the third one is the is the urban environment so uh, uh, what I wanted to do there was to see where people what what were the cities that people uh, immigrated to and, and and walked in and how they represented the this urban experience in their in the writing which was all new and it was all in the context of, of modernism uh, and then and then I started asking questions in in, in, in that book and, and the work that I did around it something that is kind of in between traditional or what you would call literary uh, uh, scholarship and, and cultural history. And yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, I really tried to know the cities very well and to ask kind of questions. Okay, so where actually people, we know that people move to Odessa and Warsaw and Berlin and, and other places. And we know that they were influenced by German literature and Yiddish literature and we can do analysis of the text and see all these contact all these contacts, but where actually did it happen? Did they actually meet each other? Did they talk to each other? Was there any? Uh, uh, and and the answer I kept coming to was was the cafe, was the coffee house. Really, really interesting. And what kind of a space was it? When did the coffee house itself emerge in Europe? And what were these spaces? physically like yeah so this is this is a very good question it's 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 also a difficult question to to answer because there's so many different variations on what these places and what these spaces were i mean uh-huh. uh, we, we know we know we know that uh, the origin of the of coffee and of coffee houses i mean it came through africa and then really emerged in places like mecca and uh, uh, and in in, in the arab world in the in the medieval uh, uh, period in the Islamic 
context and, and, and later on uh, with the Ottoman Empire, this is where uh, the institution of the coffee house thrived and really became a place not just for people to drink the new coffee, the new exotic drink that was uh, um, that, 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 that woke people up and enabled people to stay awake at night and all you know new things like that, but also uh, it was a place for religious activity, for Sufis, for intellectual activity, for cultural activity, for sociability um, and, and that will ha- that all happened in the Islamic context and from the Islamic world via the the, uh, the Ottoman Empire and partly by, Sephardic Jews, but also by Armenians and other people who were a part of the of the world of, of commerce and merchants, they brought it over to to Europe, to Western Europe. And actually, the first the first coffee houses were in England, uh, in London, and in Oxford. And we're not hundred percent sure, but we know for sure that one of the one of the first ones were established in Oxford, uh, a place known as the Angel, and that. It, it, it was by a Sephardic Jew, probably from Lebanon. Uh, we all know his first name, Jacob. Um, mm. And, and, and um, so, so these places emerged in England. Actually, if you look at if you look at some photographs, it's very interesting because it, it was obviously very different from the ones that you would see in the Ottoman Empire. Um, yeah, it, it 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 kind of looked a little more like a, like a pub, like a like a place where people would drink beer, right? And 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 would be kind of like a a, a tavern without wine or without beer. Instead of it, it was coffee. Uh-huh. At the same time, it kept it kept these otherness because there were some elements that were oriental or muslim elements that were then add, that, that, that were part of the of the the way the the coffee house looked uh, in in england and then later on in italy and in vienna and in the german speaking countries so there was there was always something that was very local but also it was something that kind of reminded people of the otherness of the fact that Coffee itself and the institution of the coffee house came from elsewhere. Uh, it took many years, I think, from what I what I can gather from the description of the places and from some of the visual and uh, the photographs and the artwork. It took a while to really develop, let's say, the Viennese cafe as a Viennese institution. Uh, uh, early on, it was very clear that it's it's coming from elsewhere and it had this kind of very interesting oriental slash other uh, element to it. And maybe it's that orientalness and otherness um, that, that caused um, many of the critics in some of these cities that you describe to to regard the coffee house as kind of an alien institution where the Jew, a resident alien, as it were, felt at home. What was it about the cafe that drew Jews to it. Yeah, so so you know, I mean, the otherness of the cafe is definitely part of it. I mean, if you think about if you think about beer and tavern, and if you think about wine house and and or or liqueurs, 
it's all it's all done in the soil of the place right it's very much connected to the place and you can say that the the, 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 the institution where these drinks are, are, are being drunk uh, it's very much connected to the place it's also the difference between alcohol and coffee uh, that explains some of some of that so I mean the answer of why Jews were attracted to it and why it became identified uh, as, as Jewish, you know, in some sense, although never exclusively, almost never exclusively as Jewish, is, is, it has to do with all of these different elements. You know, the fact that there was, there was an air of otherness about it. It was very much became localized, but also came from elsewhere, kind of like Jewish culture, you know. Uh, and, and from the Jewish point of view, I mean, in the early days, you look, you look at, a, 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 at the 16th, 17th, early 18th centuries, I mean, most Jews, in, if not everybody, were keeping kosher. So eating, eating in a restaurant or going to a pub with Jews, that would be out of the question. And also many people did not feel comfortable in the context of alcohol and, and, and the coffee house. Was a, was 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 a great alternative. Uh, in in most of the most of the coffee houses earlier on, there was only coffee served. It only it's only later that it became with pastries and food and and all that. So it enabled many Jews who kept kosher and did not want to eat along with non-Jews to go to to go to the coffee house. So there was another element that became that made it attractive or kind of more of a neutral place uh, uh, for Jews to uh, uh, to come as alternative to other even more exclusive places or places where uh, uh, the, the issue of kashrut was uh, was problematic or even the issue of alcohol that you know that, that doesn't mean the Jews didn't drink or didn't like alcohol they did. Right and, and 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 many Jews also own taverns, especially in Eastern Europe. But that doesn't mean that they felt comfortable sitting there and socializing and meeting other people, both Jews and non-Jews. And the coffee house was exactly that kind of place that enabled people to feel more comfortable. And perhaps this is why, um, the perhaps this is what makes the coffee house what you describe as a third space i think this is a crucial concept in your book can you explain this term and the role the concept of the third space play uh, plays in understanding and depicting jewish cafe life yeah so it's it's really i, I really came to this uh, uh, to this concept uh, which was developed in the context of cultural geography uh, out of a problem you know i mean i i uh, i knew that most of the places most, most of the coffee houses are right about they don't exist anymore in a place like place like a Fed Central, which still exists, uh, resembles more a museum than a, a living institution. People go there with cameras and take pictures. There's a life-size sculpture of Peter Altenberg, one of the uh, abitués. And, and really what we have uh, of these places are descriptions, subjective descriptions, literary descriptions, even photographs are very subjective uh, uh, so we, we don't have access to the actual space and to the lived experience. And 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 in the beginning, I, I thought, you know, that's a big problem because how can I rely on this information? And then, as the more the more I did reading, and the more I, I the more I understood that actually the, the the place itself 
it's so important, but, but but really what what is going on there is the is the experience of the space, and the experience of the space is subjective. So it's something that is between the imaginary and the real. It's between the public and the private. So really the third space as, a, as, as, as something that comes from cultural geography uh, uh, is, is really a good way to capture some of these contradictions and the liminality of the, of the space, you know, of something that is inside, between the inside and the outside, between the public and the private, between the real and the, and the imaginary and kind of uh, our desire to fix on what really was there is almost besides the point because what's really important is how people experienced it and and that 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 explains how the same space can be experienced in such a different way for different people uh, and also in and also in different places you you consider six cities in the book in considerable detail Odessa Warsaw Vienna Berlin New York and uh, and Tel Aviv, and Jewish cafe culture, as you point out, was vibrant in other cities as well. But you, of course, you had to you had to restrict your focus somewhere. And these cities make a lot of sense. But tell us what makes them the most important, and what is common between them in terms of Jewish cafe life. Yeah, so really, I mean, the book the book could could be expanded and could be continued. And actually, I hope I, I know that some people are working, some people already published, and some people are working on on coffee houses in 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 Paris, in Cairo, in Baghdad, in Buenos Aires, and many other places. Um, for me, it made sense to to focus on these six cities because they really represent. Uh, modern Jewish culture in Eastern Europe with Odessa and Warsaw as two uh, large cities. One of them was part of the uh, of the Russian Empire, of the Pale of Settlement, and then later on with Soviet Jewry, um, Warsaw, the capital of, of Poland, which was uh, at some point in the beginning of the 20th, 20th century the largest city in, uh, uh, in Europe. Uh, the, the largest Jewish city in terms of population in, in Europe right. and, and the most important. And then with Vienna and Berlin, uh, uh, obviously two uh, uh, capital cities of the uh, of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and then of the of the German Empire and later on the Weimar uh, 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 Republic. But all, all these places, and then you know, as we as you move from Europe to America, obviously New York City was the place. Uh, of Jewish population and Jewish immigration, and in Palestine, and then later the state of Israel, Tel Aviv, uh, uh, or there was always competition between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem finds a way into the book, but uh, Tel Aviv was really the cultural center. Right. Um, and, and these cities are really important. They're, they're important by themselves, and of course the interaction between Jewish culture and German culture and host Austrian culture, Russian, Polish, American, and in Israel the local Arab and and, and, and British uh, culture, but they were also centers of migration. Uh, that, that's one of the important and crucial yes. points yes, that correct. Migration, migration, and urbanization are really connected to each other very intimately and are very central in understanding Jewish modernity. And I think that 
I mean, the, 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 I'm not the first one, obviously, to point that out. I mean, many Jewish historians and, and literary scholars and other people who work on Jewish modernity pointed out that element of the urban uh, experience. But I think we kind of tend to normally look at it from the point of view of, of immigration as kind of one direction. You know, people, people start somewhere in some small shtetl or some city in Europe and, you know, they move to New York or they move to Tel Aviv or they move to Berlin and kind of that's it. And then we look right. at it. But, 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 but the, coffee, the coffee houses also, it took me a while to understand it and enabled me to, to show something that I call kind of a silk road of modern Jewish culture uh, because it's, it's, it's really a network of migration and, and the coffee houses are points in this network and, and this uh, 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 silk road because people don't just immigrate and that's it. People constantly move. It was very typical for, typical for many of the writers and the people I, I write about, uh, the intellectuals, the politicians, the, uh, uh, the journalists, the artists to move many, many times during their li- lifetime. And even those who only moved once, uh, uh, they traveled, they corresponded, they read each other. So, And, very and often they looked they, for they, each they, other they, in the cafes, didn't they? Exactly. And they looked at each other in the cafe. I mean, there, there, there's so many times, I mean, I begin the book with Agnon, but it happens again and again that people travel from one city to another, either by train or by sea or any, any way, and they would get off the train or off, off the ship, and the first place that they will go will be the coffee house. That's quite amazing. Yeah. I mean, why? Yeah. You know, why Why would that be the case? I mean, after all, there are more important places than the right. coffee house, but it shows you that, that people... First of all, people knew about it before they even went to visit the city. They read about, they heard about these places. They knew that by going to the coffee house, it's going to connect them immediately to the people, to the uh, uh, to the culture, to the intellectual debates. The, 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 the coffee house will really uh, enable them to get the pulse of the culture and the city yes. very immediately. You know, one of the interesting themes that emerges in the book uh, and in almost all of the cities that you researched, if not in all of them, is the, scene, is the theme of self-alienation and, and even emasculation of the modern emancipated Jewish artists, at this time virtually all of whom uh, are male. And this characteristic of alienation and sort of uh, ennui and emasculation, these things seemed to both uh, be assuaged and exacerbated by the marginality of the cafe. In other words, people went to the cafe seeking refuge from this feeling, but in some ways um, the cafe uh, manifested or fertilized this feeling. Uh, Can you explain a little bit about why that was the case and what larger forces were contributing to it? Right. So yeah, I mean, un- until now, we really focused on the on the on the cafe, on the coffee house as a place that enables connections and open up possibilities for migrants and for people 
who moved from one place to another. But at the same time, it really uh, emphasized all the tensions around, you know, the, 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 the challenges of modernity in, in, in the Jewish context. So that has to do sometimes with relationship between Jews and non-Jews and anti-Semitism, uh-huh. right? I mean, uh-huh. I mean the, fact, the fact that, you know, if in Vienna people would know that the Jew belongs in the coffee house, right? That, that means that it puts them, I mean, it's such a, it's such a if, if you analyze it, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. You know? yeah. it, it could mean two, two, two conflicting things, you know, it could mean that really this is where, you know, look how the Jews are now part of intellectual community and, you know, so many Jews are so prominent in the arts, in literature, in journalism, and you know that the, the, the Viennese coffee house is a beloved institution at that point, and the Jew belongs there, so the Jew really belongs in Vienna. On on, on the other hand, it can be exactly the opposite. You yes. know, the Jew belongs in the coffee house and, and nowhere else. Yes, you know, right, it's kind of right. like being in the zoo, and and, yeah. and we we can see that we can see that that a lot uh, in many places. You know, in Warsaw, for example, there's a place called the Cafe Gini. And there, actually, the, 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 the Jews like uh, uh, writers, Jewish writers like Slonimsky and Tuvim, who wrote Polish and very much wanted to be part of Polish culture, they, they, they went to the cafe and they had this kind of elevated space that was known as the, as the table, the regular table. And, you know, that attracted a lot of attention and many people came to them and looked up to them. But that also put them on the spot for people who hated the fact that they were, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were so prominent in, in Polish culture. So all, all these tensions around around uh, uh, Judaism and anti-Semitism, around gender, around class, around issues of, you know, the Jewish men. And, and you said, yeah, most, most of the people were men. There were very few women uh, 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 that I, I write about in the book who were part of modern Jewish culture, and they experienced it in, in a very different way because it was mostly kind of experienced as yeah. a homosocial space, right? right. As really as a as a modern substitute to the synagogue or to the house of study, where traditionally Jewish men would argue with would study the Talmud and argue with each other. And, you know, instead of that, it became very clear for a lot of the participants that the coffee house is really a, a secular modern substitute of the um, of the house of study and obviously if you're a woman like Leah Goldberg or Anna Margolin or uh, Alzela Skirchile you know what is their place in the in in the cafe because after all unlike the the, the house of study the Beit Midrash coffee house that's the whole idea. Yeah. It's open to everybody. Yeah. Uh, women could go in there and did go in there. The question of well, how many women were really happy to wear and part of the inside of cafe culture, uh, very few women. Right. And you, you talk about, uh, you give vivid examples throughout the book of, of the habitués and the circles of prominent literary, cultural, and political figures, including in the Viennese cafe, um, many of which are, are frequented by uh, luminaries like Sigmund Freud and Theodor Herzl. Uh, but you also talk, uh, and Herzl is kind of a bridge to this, about some of the literary forms that are 
thought of as particularly Jewish and which find their home in a lot of their material mm-hmm. in the cafe, including the feuilleton, which Herzl specialized in, and the Moralische Wochenschriften, mm-hmm. uh, which was sort of a, a series of, uh, as I understand it, weekly pamphlets to get assimilating Jews to elevate their uh, moral and uh, social niceties so that they fit into culture better. Can you talk about why some of these forms found such fertile soil in the cafe and who are some of their primary expositors? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, part of the, when, when, you know, when we spoke before about the coffee house entering uh, Western Europe in, in London and Oxford and then in Vienna and other places, it really went hand in hand with the development of journalism and, and newspapers. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the thesis of Habermas about the public sphere. And, you know, something like yeah. the Moralische Wochenschrift, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it it was, you know, the, the, these kind of newspapers that started, they, they really started together with the institution of the of the coffee house. I mean, many of the debates and the discussions of the coffee house were kind of uh, uh, reproduced in a printed form. People... Which is interesting because at this time you're starting to see mass circulation daily right, newspapers. Right. So this is a li- this, so, right. So the coffee house becomes a space exactly. for that consumption of exactly, that information. Exactly. So, so, yeah. so, so both the, the, the discussions of the coffee house uh, find its way into a written representation, but then also the coffee house is the place where people come to read newspapers, and this is something that goes back to the early days and continued, maybe continues even until today, where you know many coffee houses have all kind of newspapers in many different languages and that's part of the uh, that's part of the appeal but then you know when you when you talk about the filiton which really started in Paris in at the beginning of the 19th century it was a very urban uh, uh, genre uh, really started with kind of uh, what's going on around town right I mean uh, uh, Oh, so a great example is like the talk of the town in the New Yorker. That's really... Exactly, that's how it started. But then it really developed in all kinds of ways and it enabled people to have cultural criticism and a mixture of something that is very personal and has a narrative element to it together with what is going on in the city, what are some of the events, what are some of the... So it, 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 it always has this kind of current and urban element mixed with a, a, a storytelling element and also cultural criticism, something about the politics of the day, etc. And it... it why did this come to be seen as such a Jewish film? That's one of the really interesting questions, and that's actually, I'm, I'm now involved together with other people in a, in, a, in, a, in a new project that is going to be a collaborative project specifically about the filiton and, and the Jewishness of, uh, uh, of the genre. I mean, obviously there's nothing Jewish about it. It started in Paris, and very, very quickly it moved into German cities and to Russian cities, and really all over the world. It actually didn't 
didn't catch up so much in the English speaking world um, and and you know one of the first one of the first people who brought it from uh, from the French to the German sphere is Heinrich Heine uh, and uh-huh. so that's that's one reason why but then you know later on it really became for all kind of interesting reasons it became something that attracted many Jews like Herzl like Josef Roth like so in in, in Austrian and German sphere it really became known as kind of a Jewish genre even if people uh, uh, obviously not everybody who wrote there was Jewish you know why people wrote why so many Jews came to write Philitons that's an interesting question uh, it has some historical yeah. reasons it has some literary reasons but you know when 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 what I found really fascinating is that from from anti-semitic point of view when people uh, uh, in Germany and uh, looking at German culture and Austrian culture uh, uh, looked at the uh, at the fact that so many Jews are writing philitons and that th- th- this kind of, it's kind of a style it's a it's a uh, it's something that mixed different genres right so it's not yeah, it's not right. pure but from from that point yes. of view it's like okay Jews Jews are writing it because they can't really write literature real literature uh-huh, in German uh-huh. or you know that that Jews they can't really do it they don't know the language enough they're not really part of the so they 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 took this foreign French genre and brought it over to uh, um, you know to the German speaking sphere right so that's that's in right. the context of, of, of German and, and and I think also do you have something similar going on in Poland and in and in Russia but then also you know if you think about the 19th century the, the development of Hebrew and Yiddish press the Philiton was very popular people loved to read it it also was something that was a, a kind of light and you know mixed all the all the cultural and political uh, events of the day but in a way that was accessible that involved and entertaining, entertaining. so yeah. you know if you think yeah. about the Haskalah and how you know the Maskilim had to deal with Hebrew with a very difficult language with biblical language and you know in Yiddish it's a language that that kind of lacked Le- legit- legitimacy, uh, the Philippon really emerged as something that is wonderful for writers to experiment with, for publishers and editors to sell more newspapers, and for readers to really read with pleasure, as opposed to read the you know the kind of the polemical and ideological articles of the of the masculine. So uh, uh, it's kind of it's it's very interesting to see how it emerged in the 19th century and beginning 20th century in many different languages, both Jewish languages and non-Jewish languages for, for a variety of, of, uh, of reasons. And although it was never, kind of like the coffee house, it was never exclusively Jewish. Uh, it was something that was beloved and utilized by many Jews and also became identified to some extent with Jewishness and with Jewish culture. And, you know, it, uh, the cafe was really kind of a battleground of Jewish culture in all these places. Just to pull two examples, uh, you mentioned when, in your in your chapter on Berlin that cafe habitués fought against what their parents aspired to: upward mobility, social status, and the prosperity that opened to them with emancipation. So they they fought not just against decadent mm-hmm. Europe but against the perceived superficiality of Jewish observance. That's one kind right. of struggle. And in, and in Jaffa and Tel Aviv, we have a battle over what is to be 
the language of Jewish culture? Is it going to be Yiddish or is it going to be Hebrew? So in both of these places and in all the others you discuss, um, the cafe is kind of a a battleground, um, either cultural or political. But in the cultural context, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, how uh, Jaffa and Tel Aviv, how the battles that played out there in terms of what was to be the language of Jewish right. culture. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when it comes to, when it comes to Jaffa, Tel Aviv, it's really interesting. First of all, from a historical point of view, we spoke about how coffee houses started in the Middle East and then went to Europe. <laughs> when, when Jewish immigrants are immigrating from Europe to, to Jaffa at the, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, in a sense, they go back to the place where coffee houses started, right? But, but, so yeah, but, but then they yeah. go they go to the Arab cafes in Jaffa and they don't like what they see. These places look to them very <laughs> dirty and, you know, people play sheshbesh and smoke nargilas. It looks nothing like the Viennese or the, or the or, or coffee house or the, the one in Warsaw and Lhasa. And they want, to, they want to bring their own. So they want to create European cafes in Tel Aviv, right? And, and uh, sometimes they are aware and sometimes they are not aware that actually this whole institution came from uh, from the Middle East. Uh, you know, Agnon writes about uh, about Beta Kahava. He keeps the Kahawa, the Arabic word, uh, and I think he did uh-huh. it on purpose in order to kind of show the irony of people like him who came from Europe and you know, kind of uh, uh, you know, finding finding the, the 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 coffee house kind of in between. So you know, Arabic was part of the uh, of, of of the battle of, of languages. Uh, Yiddish, right? I mean, uh, um, most of the immigrants who okay, came, Yiddish was was their uh, the mother tongue. Many of the later on, many of the immigrants came with with German. And at the time, uh, um, you know, the attempt to cre- to 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 create Hebrew as as uh, as a living language that was a that was a difficult battle, right? I mean, and many people felt very insecure. You know, they wanted to uh, uh, to create this monolingual culture, and they felt that in order to create. Uh, uh, you know, to, to create a Jewish culture in a city like Tel Aviv, you really need to get everybody to speak Hebrew and everything has to be around Hebrew. But but uh, 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 the, the coffee house was really a multilingual space everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, I wonder if you, I wonder if you could read us um, one of the uh, poems or writings that emerged out of the Hebrew speaking world and the cafes uh, of Jaffa and Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, there, there, there are so many, there are so many great texts by people like Avraham Shlonsky and Nathan Alterman and Leah Goldberg. Uh, uh, yeah. these, are, these are Hebrew writers who also wrote in other languages. Uh, there are many Yiddish uh, uh, writers who wrote texts. You know, not just spent time in the cafe and met there, but also uh, wrote uh, poetry or prose about uh, about the coffee house. Um, I want to I want to read actually one of the one of the later uh, uh, texts. You know, I mean, uh, in, in terms of the, the the time framework, of course, when we talk about the European coffee house, by the time of Second World War, um, you know, the the the, the 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 coffee houses that were part of Jewish culture were gone. 
in the war. Right. Uh, uh, but they continued uh, uh, in, in many ways to the 60s and 70s in uh, New York City and in Tel Aviv. And one of the, uh, one of the most well-known uh, uh, coffee houses in Tel Aviv was Café Cassit, uh, that was, uh, uh, the owner was Hatzkal, an East European Jew, was a Yiddish, Yiddish speaker, and, you know, it attracted many, many people, uh, mostly immigrants, who spoke Yiddish and, and also Hebrew, but then later on, it continued in the 40s and 50s and 60s and all the way to the 80s um, as, as, as a very important place in Israeli culture after the establishment of the State of Israel. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we look at one poem, uh, this is Avot Yeshurun, uh, poem. It's, 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 uh, uh, his real name is Yechiel, uh, Yechiel Perlmutter, and he changed his name, he Hebraized his name to Avot Yeshurun. And Avot is a very unusual name that has to do with the fathers. And, and you know, he was, he came from a, from a Yiddish speaking house in Poland. He put, he put into his poetry uh, Yiddish and Polish and Arabic, all within his very unique Hebrew uh, uh, Hebrew poetry. And he was one of the Café Habitués. He went to Café Cassit, although he was always a marginal figure in Café Cassit, unlike people like Alterman, who were at the, at the center. And he wrote, he wrote this poem uh, um, in, 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 1970, in, in 1972 uh, um, about, about a coffee house. He doesn't say which one it is, but it could be Café Cassit or one of the other uh, cafes. Why don't, is it, is it okay if I read it in Hebrew and then with the English translation? Okay. So, Bebet Café, Mitzad Arachov, Mishayupo Einam, Mishachashuv Kemet, Umishachashuv Kenam. Rak Sadran Zaken Mina Kolnoa, Im Lavan Zaken Mina Bima, Vahaduba Agdola Alagag, Matsitza Elea Pnima. משחקים שח, הבית, קפה, מלא דצמבר, שומעים ג'ון באז, שרה, I remember. So this is an attempt of English translation. It's very difficult to translate Avoti Shukun. In a cafe, by the side of the street, those who were here are gone. He was numbered as dead, and, his, he, and he who's numbered as slumber. Only an old usher from the cinema with a white old from Habima and the great bear on the roof glancing at it inside. Playing chess, the coffee house is full December, listening to John Baez singing, I remember. So, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it is a beautiful poem and it's a very difficult poem to, to, to understand. I think we, when we read it, we kind of get the sense of the atmosphere and, and, and what is going on in, in the cafe. But, you know, to understand all the little details and all the different elements, you know, a lot of it has to do with the time, with places like Abima and the cinema and these old characters, those people in the, in the 60s and 70s. Right. But very much like the cafe, it's a third space that sort of contains the ghosts of people right, who are no right, longer exactly. and, then, there. And, that, and, and, and that is a lot about, you know, those who are, 
those who are gone and and those who died and obviously this is after after the holocaust this is after the the 1948 war and you have all these people who are present in the memory of the people and you know maybe they used to spend some time in the cafe or maybe the family members and and, and you know at, at the end of the poem when it's uh, playing chess and the coffee i tried in my english translation to kind of break it the way it breaks it in hebrew it's instead of bait cafe right it's two words bait cafe the coffee house uh, uh, he breaks it and here it's very clear that it's it's not just the coffee house it's a bite it's the house and you know everything with all the meaning of of that right and then you know sending us away from tel aviv and away from cafe Cassid to john baez in america you know uh, singing i remember and then if you if you look at the song it is about it is about the holocaust and about memory and about what can be remembered and what not can, cannot be remembered and how by singing about it and writing poems about it it's the problem of memory and how to bring try and bring back to life something that doesn't exist anymore and I love the, I love this poem because it's you know, so typical of what Yeshurun and his specific thematics but it's also something that really kind of at the end towards the end of my book because it's also kind of the end of an era of very vibrant, cafe culture and coffee houses and you know this is something that I talk about a little bit in the afterword in the conclusion of the book uh, so the the Jewish cafe is gone and I wonder if you can address what has taken its place if anything and will anything like it ever uh, return to its old form in other words what carries Jewish culture now yeah, that's 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 a very good question, and I actually wanted to finish the book with uh, with an open question. You know, I I I don't feel like I have the answer, uh, and 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 the, 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 there is a big question here because obviously uh, it's absurd to 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 say that that you know coffee houses don't exist anymore. It's actually the opposite. There are more coffee right. houses today in all There's the one cities. in Tel Aviv every ten feet. Right, exactly, exactly, and in all the different cities that I write about, there's probably two today more coffee houses than they were in the period that I'm writing about. And yet that kind of activity and the importance of, of coffee house for modern Jewish culture, it doesn't it doesn't doesn't exist anymore. I mean there are may, maybe a few places where this kind of cultural activity takes place, but uh, uh, very few places and I don't think anyone would argue that the coffee house is such an important uh, element in in contemporary Jewish culture and the question is why you know and, and um, I mean I, I really invite readers to give their own answers to to, uh, to these questions but I think it's a combination of a, of a few things. First of all, the, the, the nature of the coffee house changed very much. Mm-hmm. And the, the kind of the, the function and the role that it, that it fulfilled is, has been replaced by other things. You know, the uh, uh, social media and the internet. There are many, many ways for people in, in various places to interact with each other uh, um, that doesn't require the space of the cafe. You know, and if, actually, if you 
think about the early days of the internet, uh, I don't know how many people remember, but there used to be a lot of cafes in the, you know, many of the spaces in the internet where people would meet each other and discuss and have questions. It used to be called cafe. Uh, right. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not anymore with Twitter and Facebook and other, right. uh, but I think, I think a lot of, a lot of what was going on in the cafe was replaced and the fact that there's so much technology. I mean, even, even people like myself, I still, love going to cafes and, and but I come sometimes I meet people but most of the time I come with my own laptop and 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 I'm, I'm kind of absorbed within that so it's a very different kind of function so that's it really, so that, that, really that's is. Part, yeah the, everyone is everyone is in their right, own cafe right. so that's part of it I think the other part is that uh, um, you know the, 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 the immigration that was so crucial uh, I mean it's not that there's no Jewish immigration now I mean obviously there's the uh, the former Soviet Union people moved to America and to Israel and to Central Europe but contemporary Jewish culture nowadays is is, is, is not is not Immigration is not as crucial uh, uh, element. And, you know, I mean, we also have to be careful kind of not to romanticize because we spoke about the difficult elements in the coffee house and how for many people the coffee house was the only place where they could go because they didn't have other places. You know, in that that sense, maybe it's good today that we have many other possibilities for creating a, 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 a Jewish culture. So, you know, there's something that... I think there's something that, like like many other things, something is lost with the fact that this world is is gone, and something that we should actually be happy about that it's. Uh, so I, I don't I don't want to be kind of too nostalgic about it, you know. And I right, I, I speak right. about the issue of nostalgia and how you know how how you can look at it in 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 many different ways. And and hey, it's also who knows? Maybe this is going to come back, you know. I mean, maybe the, you never know. <laughs> You never know, but you, but you certainly have made the coffee house uh, vividly present in this book, which is both um, beautifully written and very, very well researched. I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us about it. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, for doing this interview and bringing, asking many great questions. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Uh, the feeling is mutual. My guest today has been Shachar M. Pinsker, professor of Judaic studies and Middle East studies at the University of Michigan. And we've been talking about his new book, A Rich Brew, How Cafes Created Modern Jewish Culture, published in 2018 by New York University Press. Again, this is David Gottlieb. Thank you for joining me on New Books in Jewish Studies. Jewish Studies.